Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Lumineers Quest podcast, where we talk everything Lorcana. I'm Zach. And I'm Jacob. And thanks for coming on this journey with us. Okay, so we are now, what, like almost two months in to Chapter 2, a.k.a. Rise of the Floodborne? Rise of the Floodborne. And we felt like it was the perfect time to review the Floodborne, right? Overall discussion Floodborne of discussion. Floodborne. We've kind of We've kind of touched on a little bit of this before, but... Now we have like more of a retrospective perspective. Yes, exactly. <laughs> sure. I mean, on I like how some of this is working and how it's changed. Now we have six Floodborne per ink now, I believe. A lot, yeah, a lot more so, than we did the first first go around. That's for sure. Um, a lot more to discuss. Yeah, so we want to talk the Floodborne, talk about like Floodborne strategies, talk how the how the Floodborne have changed this go around and and so forth. And so, um, yeah, I think that. That's going to be the main topic, and we're going to get into all the things Floodborne, and hopefully this helps give you a new perspective on some of these cards, because I think over the past couple weeks, my perspective on a lot of them has changed, I know for sure, and so hopefully we get kind of some of that some of that inside out. So yeah, with that said, um, let's get into it. So as always, thanks everyone for listening. We, we mentioned the last episode, but I want to just touch on really quickly again, we got a TCG player affiliate link, which means if you buy singles from TCG Player through our affiliate link, we get a percentage of that sale to reinvest into the podcast and help grow our our setup. We need another mic. We need another chair. Yeah, we're not just saying that. We, we literally we genuinely, we genuinely need those things for the podcast to help make it better. Um, there are a lot of times where I'm sitting on a, a kitchen stool because we don't have the chairs that we need. So anyways... Um, we have an affiliate link. If you're going to buy singles, if you could use our link, we would very much appreciate it. Um, it would help us out tremendously. Um, that, that link can be found in the description of all the episodes on the podcast. It can be found in the YouTube descriptions. It can be found um, on our um, X slash Twitter profile. Um, and yeah, so if you could use that, we'd greatly appreciate it. And as mentioned, we're on YouTube at Illumineers Quest, Twitter at Lorcanapod. Uh, and then all of the audio, you know, podcast networks like Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, PocketCast, Overcast, you name it, we're all there. We're across the board. Um, and yeah, so as always, thanks, thanks for following and, and sticking along with us. Um, and so let's get into it. Car of the week. So we got an interesting one, and this is a, basically an overall discussion of Let- what this mechanic yeah a little bit it's very uh, different and i like this because it's going to switch things up but we were discussing this and it's like why don't we just talk about it on the podcast so you brought a good one so let's hear it we have the action card here nothing to hide it is a one cost inkable and the ability is each opponent reveals their hand draw a card in sapphire in sapphire so i think First of all, I think the biggest thing is that this is in a not super playable ink right now. Yeah, I mean that never, that doesn't help for sure. I know Sapphire is definitely on the lower end. It was in the lower end on our tier list for a reason, but um, even then, we're not seeing it played in Sapphire as much. So that's what the discussion is around: is is why is that, and is it just not as like beneficial as maybe it thought? Like I think we both didn't think that this would be broken when it came out, mm-hmm. but I also think that there is some scenarios where this could very much help. Yeah, especially when you're going against, like, let's say, a, a ruby removal, right? Like, knowing that, like, okay, he's got that be prepared, I gotta 
plan for that. You know, like I gotta, I gotta stall. I got, you know, whatever. Yeah. And just certain scenarios like that. Um, I come like before Lorcana came out, I played a game called Marvel Snap, and like knowing what was in your opponent's hand was always very important. Like if you could get in any sort of insight into that, it was very helpful for the game the following turns. Um, so I guess when I first saw this, I kind of like thought of that a little bit. Like, okay, like this will give you some insight on what your opponent's plan is for the next few turns. Like, yeah, I, I think that's a perfect, you know, a perfect example or a perfect insight as to where this, you know, it should be useful. I, I, I think to, to piggyback on your Ruby example, like if, if it's a really close game, call it like 13 to 15, you know, it doesn't matter which way. Um, if you have this car, so it's late game, you've got a lot of ink. If, if you play this card and you see that they don't have be prepared, then maybe you push a little bit harder with more characters to like get into that lethal range. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you, they're going to have the ability to draw another card or maybe you know sift through their deck to try to find the card that they need, draw a couple cards with a spell or something. But it at least gives you the insight to say, hey, they don't have what they need now, and so they're going to have to go do that digging and spend those resources to get there. Same thing for like Steel Song. Like if they play Ariel turn three and they don't pull out a whole new world from the from the you know from their hand from from what they get to look at the top four cards. I mean you know maybe it's worth looking at to see that they don't have it and so that you can like really again um, like try to do board control or if they do have it maybe it's like okay I need to flood the board with like what I've got in my hand because they're just going to a whole new world at next turn and so. I think there are scenarios where it could like really shift the way that you play the turn. One cost is really low as well. Um, I think, and, and, and again, I want your opinion on this, but I think the biggest thing for me is why it's not played. And again, total noob here, so noob opinion. Don't know the best, but I think it's just the amount, like having like the the sacrifice you have to make to put it in your deck. You don't want to play 64 cards or 66 cards to put this in your deck. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to take something else out of your deck to put it in. So in my eyes, the biggest reason why it's not played is because of the opportunity cost of taking something else out of your deck. I do agree with you on that. My counter to it is that it's a one-cost inkable draw card at the very worst. I, I mean, I trust me, I'm on, the, I'm on that page yeah, too. It replaces like, itself. So, I I think, like, I think it could also be just maybe helpful earning a game, like, hey, like, let's see how many inkables and uninkables my opponent has in their hand. Like, let's see, like, if they're going to be stalled at one point, you know? Like, I just think, I don't know, I, be, I haven't played it in a game yet, so I, I don't really have a Sapphire deck. Um, yeah, I, I haven't played it either, but I, I think it could be fun. I mean, maybe put one in every ink? Imagine imagine a world here. So we're spitballing off of the hopes and wishes from last episode. But imagine a world where you can reveal their hand and then you can discard your chosen card from their hand. That'd be nutty. That'd be nutty. That'd be nutty. <laughs> That'd be Just nutty. Just saying. No, but any, anyways, I mean, that's the card of the week. I think it's a, a good discussion to have. I, you know, if, if anybody has any strong opinions, either way, um, on nothing to hide... The, the sapphire uh, action card then then let us know but yeah that's that's the card of the week um news what's on our mind league match recap slash other thoughts and feelings so mine is 
a, a parallel to Lorcana, but parallel within the world, within the within the Disney realm, we'll say. So what about the within the Disney world? Ooh, so that's a good segue. Um, when this episode comes out, if you're listening to this, I am currently at Disney World. We're recording this one early because yes. I am that Christmas present for my wife. We are going to Disney World, and so. Yeah, I'm currently at Disney, and we're enjoying Tron, hopefully. I'm excited to go on Tron. Um, I'm also excited for a lot of the other newer attractions like Guardians, um, Cosmic Rewind, and a few of those other cool things that we haven't even gotten to experience yet, like the the new Moana place in Epcot. And I'm probably in my room playing video games, being super jealous, getting photos of what you're doing. And it sounds like we're going to plan a Disney trip for this year. Hopefully. And I can say this Hopefully. year because it's 2024. It's very weird saying, not saying next year now, it is. but we better plan a Disney trip this year. So like, I know we don't talk about parks much, but let's take, let's take this a little bit to talk about parks a little bit. Like, are you like, what, what's your favorite park food? You got some favorite park, park food? That's a tough, I mean, so park, park food at Disney can be hit or miss. I, I, I kind of disagree. I think park food 90% of the time is rock solid. Okay. okay. I think it's fantastic most of the time. There's a very, there's, and, and the things that aren't rock solid, it's still very good. It's just not like, it's, it's like normal carnival-y park food. Mm. Whereas most of the stuff you get, I feel like is very curated, real, like chefs made. Um, I don't know. That's really tough because it, give me a, give me a scenario and I'll give you my favorite. Like, are we talking snack? Are we talking lunch? Are we talking dinner? So, let's say, like, maybe you didn't have the the fullest breakfast, right? And you've been walking a lot in the park, and you need a good sit-down lunch. Good sit-down lunch. Um, let's say, and let's say, oh man, Magic Kingdom. Magic Magic Kingdom is the toughest one. That's the, it. Is the toughest one. Honestly, we usually don't eat lunch in Magic Kingdom. What we do is we go to Polynesian. Or contemporary. So I, I'm saying it within the park food. I know. Because resort food is different. I'm, that's, I'm telling you that's why it's tough is because that's what we normally do. Um, man. We usually go to Pecos Bill. And I'm, and I'm that's not, my go-to as well. And I'm not saying that that's, that's, like, that's on my list of like not fantastic but good food. That's my go-to. Like it's, very, it's very reasonable. It's good. It's not great. Um, if we're talking snack, Dole Whip, don't fight me. It's the best there is. I I will agree with you with a caveat. Dole Whip slash churro. Yeah, I, I, I get the churros, but I'm like I feel like that's not the biggest Disney thing. Like, you know, churros are churros. I mean Dole Whip is like you don't think of Dole Whip and think of anything but Disney. When you think of churro, you can think of a hundred things. Fair. So again, not, fair. not nothing wrong with a churro. Nothing I'm not, wrong I'm not gonna hate a churro. Yeah. But um yeah, and then uh just as a shout out to Gabtron, the good old um wife of mine, her favorite would definitely be switching back between either a Mickey bar or a Mickey sandwich. Now I will say the best park food is at Epcot. Yeah, I mean that's that's not debatable, is it? I mean if you say something other than that, then you're kinda crazy. I mean I think there's a a discussion to be made for animal kingdom animal kingdom's got some good spots i also there are some a few good hollywood studio spots especially with the toy story and um star wars 
restaurants, but I still think Epcot. I mean, that's what Epcot was is for is yeah. for the the cuisine the and the, the expectation or not the expectations the the exploration of the different mm-hmm. stuff around the world. So, I I like. Can we do that every now and then? A park we should, discussion. We, should, we probably should. Maybe we can start. Maybe we can start branching off and then create a park podcast. I enjoyed that so much right now. <laughs> we, probably, we probably should. Then. Um, yeah. So that's that's I think what's on my mind is going to the parks for the first time in 2024 right off the rip. But well, I I, I took enough time of that, so I I, I don't really have anything. Going no, on, that, so that's we'll all. That. That's all I've got too. That so. was great. I um, enjoyed that. I think that. I think the biggest thing is, and again, we've touched on this in the past, is um, the integration of Lorcana into Disney Springs slash Disney World. You know, I know that they they obviously sell Lorcana at the World of Disney at at, um, at Disney Springs in in Orlando or in Florida, and that's obviously like the first step. But mm-hmm. you know, we've also said like, are there park exclusive cards, or are there? I don't, I don't, I don't know any other type of like you know, bridging the gap merchandise, like maybe not even a card, but maybe an exclusive playmat or an exclusive deck box. So I did think of this and it'd be super cool. Imagine a photo op with Mickey Wayward Sorcerer. I mean, I'm in. Right? Like something like that. Like, you know, like a very exclusive, like character meet and greet, you know, and maybe it's a part of a, a release event for, you know, a chapter. Yeah. That'd be cool. He, He shows up and you're like, I'm not the biggest character guy, but I'd be all down for that. Like yeah. I'd be super down for that. That'd be sick. I mean, I thought my my exclusive playmat slash deck box would get a bigger response. No, like are we talking like Pirates of the Caribbean? Like play okay, mat? that would be that would be just over the top. Cinderella Castle playmat. Oh, okay. Don't stop. Don't don't go further. Like Cinderella exclusive Cinderella Castle exclusive playmat would be the like. That would have Disney, that would have Disney fandom in a tizzy like never three hundred dollar playmat three hundred dollar playmat easy. I would one hundred percent take a trip to Florida to get said playmat if possible Could if you, that were a thing. At night fireworks during what what's the the amazing fireworks show? We were talking about this um, talking about this recently. The uh, God, I'm gonna happily ever after. Happily ever after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, I mean, that's like I, the background of my phone is happily ever after. Um, it's I it, the it's an amazing show. Yeah. So I, I mean, I know we're off topic again, and still with the Lorcana stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I think if there's any way to tie in like accessories or play mats or like new exclusive things to Disney, that would be like the icing on the cake for sure man i i'd be so hyped yeah you are i can i'm literally so hyped right now (laughs) i'm sitting here talking about it so um yeah okay with that said let's let's not waste any more time let's get into it so we're gonna do a monthly park episode now we're gonna have we should we should (laughs) um okay floodborns that they they've changed tremendously i think this said not only in how much you're seeing them like how much there is per ink uh, how many there is in the game overall usage? I think how they're used is probably changed the most, which is crazy because the evolution of it has has gone pretty substantially too. I, I th- and, and I think that the way that they can be played and is is pretty far is pretty far between because you have a ton of different play styles, which I just didn't see necessarily being the case. And I, I think we'll we'll go a little bit into how they're used chapter one before we get into what how they're used now but i i would say like 
Chapter one, bread and butter of Floodborne was um, heroic outlaw shift for five. You know, big swing, five strength, something like that. You know, within the realm like Rockstar Stitch, Rockstar Stitch, Elsa, Giant Tinkerbell. I don't even Elsa wasn't shifted a ton. She definitely was, but I mean, when I think of shifting characters, it's Rockstar Stitch, Heroic Outlaw, and Tink. Tinkerbell Giant Fairy. I think that's fair. That's definitely fair. And and not again. Elsa was one of the best cards in mm-hmm. Chapter One. So not to say that Elsa wasn't a good card, but I think of like the vast majority of the time you had a shift target and you had the card, mm-hmm. and and you were using that shift target as either a decoy or a threat on the board to keep. Your opponent on their toes. Is that mm-hmm. is that a fair statement? Yeah. yeah. Chapter two, that definitely happens, but I also think there's a lot of other ways that have arisen to change the way that they're played as well. And I think the overall, like, going into that is there are so many good cards in the game now, you have to be very selective of what's in your deck. And that was going to be my next point. And I think that that piece alone is really important as to how this has shifted pun intended to some of the play because before there weren't as many and so you're probably playing four tinkerbell tiny tacticians and four tinkerbell giant fairies because you wanted to have that shift capability i mean we've gone from 204 cards to 408 yeah you doubled it yeah so obviously that's going to change some things and there are a solid, solid number of Floodborne characters that people have zero desire to ever shift. I'll, I'll say a big one for me in Chapter 2 is Lady Tremaine. I don't think you ever need to shift that. I have seen I've seen people shift it, and I've seen it be effective, but I would say 90% of the time it's not shifted. But I have one even better. I'm shocked that this is the one you didn't say. Beast Tragic Hero. Have you ever seen Beast Tragic Hero shifted? To be honest, I haven't seen a lot of play of it in my experience personally, but no, I have not. I mean, the the shift targets are other five cost cards. It's a terrible shift card. It's a terrible floodborne card. Like, I I I, no I would agree with that. Like, you're not going to shift that card, and and so that but my that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying that that's a negative. I'm saying that that has changed the way that those are played. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say one, um, would be. Or one on the other side, sorry. So, like, that one is shifted, or not shifted ever. Um, the Queen in Amber, I'd say, is shifted quite frequently. I, I would say, like, that is where its main usage comes and, from. And it's an incredible main usage, too. If you have a terrible starting hand in Amber, and you have a Queen in a, in a Queen Floodborne, and a whole new world, on turn two, you're ripping your hand a new one, and you're starting over. Yep. I mean... So... There's there's just the options all around to do it. I think you've got in like Emerald, the Donald Duck perfect gentleman, um, the one that has the ability that says at the start of your turn each player may draw a card. I've again he doesn't get a ton of play because again it's Emerald. We've talked about this. It's not the best ink ever, but I have seen him played a decent amount in Emerald. I've seen him shifted one percent of the time. No, I take that back. I've never seen him shifted either. Like, and I will say, because there are more Floodborne, but other than last season, there is just Floodborne not seen play at all, Like, which is super interesting. That was going to be my next point, is it's shocking the amount of Floodborne that are out there that aren't very good. Like, 
Amethyst Floodborne, never see them. And I think that's partially a byproduct of the bounce package just being yeah. completely and utterly broken. But you're right. Like the cards, the the shift cards in Amethyst, I think are fantastic. Like the Madame Mem shift is a really, really, really good card. Yes. Never played. I would say the same thing about the Shift Fairy Godmother uh, Mystic Armorer. An incredible card, a legendary, but worthless because of the bounce package. I think if you take care of that bounce package, this Fairy Godmother card is an, an enormous problem. Because it shifts for two. It's and a five-cost shift I for two. I think even if you get rid of bounce and somehow nerf bounce overall, this makes a completely different Ruby Amethyst deck with the Fairy Godmother. Yeah, because it... it so, again, the this Fairy Godmother, Mystic Armor, is a five-cost inkable and Amethyst, and she shifts for two, so she's on the board like the queen really fast, and her ability is whenever this character quests, your characters gain Challenger plus three, uh, and... When this character is banished in a challenge, return this card to your hand. So, turn one, you play Pascal. Turn two, you play the Fairy Godmother shift. Turn three, you shift Fairy Godmother. Give Pascal Challenger plus three. Kill something, put him back in your hand. Nuts. So, it, it like she becomes a problem to where you have to remove her or there's no point in challenging because you challenge, you kill the card, they're back in your hand. And so, you're refueling them. So... My point is, is that there are a lot of good Floodborns out there that just don't see play. Another one I know we've talked about a bunch is Cheshire Cat from the Shadows. I think that card, I will still shout it from a mountaintop, is one of the best cards in the set. Emerald is just terrible and it doesn't get played. It has nothing built around it at all in Emerald. From from the, the Cheshire Cat from the Shadows is still one of my favorite cards in the set. And it's Might really well. hard to say that. I, I, I didn't mention this in our Christmas polls. I got a foil Cheshire Cat from the Shadows. I was stoked. Yes. Because it's it, it, it's an incredible card. It just has no place in the current meta. And that's that's really as simple as it is. Like, it just... Emerald? It is going... I, I, I swear it is going to get there. Like, I, I really so. do think it is going to get there. Because so. Emerald is such a... And not even, I don't mean aggro in the aggressive, you're racing to 20 cents. I mean aggressive in the, you're never getting to 8 ink cents. Mm -hmm. Like with, with Cheshire and, and Emerald, you're probably playing a discard and you're probably riding the line of you not having a ton of card draw yourself because the only card draw you really have is from Prince John and he's going to get taken out sooner or later from Grab Your Swords most likely. Um, and so you're, you're, you're never getting to there. Like when I play my discard deck, I only ever get to six ink. And as we talked about on the card of the week, you know, each card in your deck matters. And so if I'm removing eight cards to get the shift target Cheshire and the Cheshire from the shadows, like that just disrupts way too much of my deck to put them in there. And then on top of this, as you've mentioned many times in the past, there's no direct way to deal any damage in Emerald. And so what good does his ability and, do? And you? not like... There's bad ways to do it. There's zero. Like, instead of challenging, literally zero. Yep. Like, there is no Fire the Cannons or Tinkerbell or anything, like, the... Like, and there's two There's two cards, big cards in Emerald that deal with damage. And it is the, Beast Relentless. Yep. Which is not Floodborne, but I'm just adding in there. And then Treasure Cat, Floodborne. So... All of this to say is that 
the Floodborns are not the focus this time. Mm-hmm. As you pointed out, they doubled the card count. There's enough other cards and packages in the game now to where the Floodborns aren't necessarily the centerpiece of the deck. If we think of the Chapter 1 meta, and you are kind of already touched on this, Heroic Outlaw, Elsa, Tinkerbell Giant Fairy, Rockstar Stitch... Like those, like those are the cards that I'm going to remember from Chapter One. Mm-hmm. I mean, a few, and you can throw in a few of the actions like Be Prepared and Holy World and Grab Your Sword and stuff like that. Rapunzel. But when I th- yeah, when I think of cards, I mean Rapunzel will be in there too. But those are the ones that I'm going to think about, and they're all Floodborns. You don't get that, and so my initial like I my initial responses on all this has been fairly negative. But mm-hmm. I have a counterpoint that when we're done with this part of the discussion we can get to okay so is there anything else that like that you think about this too like again i think the the um the the sapphire shift targets are in the exact same boat as the the cheshire like the basil um have you ever seen him played never i've seen him played once the cogsworth i've seen played a few times to be fair and he's incredibly annoying to deal with but to the point of Chapter one versus chapter two. I've never seen him shifted. Like I, I tried to put a package together where you could shift him to get him out early to make it annoying to try to take cards out. It, it just killed the tempo and you couldn't do it. And so Cogsworth, Basil just never played. Just like the Amethyst ones, just like the Emerald ones, because Emeralds never played. Um, yeah. So it's just a, it's just a weird place for the Floodborne cards. And I completely agree. Completely agree. Okay. So let's shift gears. I think there is a very good silver lining positive okay. side to this. We already kind of touched on chapter one, on how it was played. Everything was pretty much ready to be shifted or shifted with um, a few exceptions here and there. But basically, you were playing the shift versions. If you were playing the Floodborns, you were prepared to shift them. I think that's completely changed. I think you don't shift them anymore, but there are a lot of different ways to play them. So you have like Beast, Tragic Hero who comes on the board and kind of just sits there because you want him to draw. Um, the other big one that I've seen come up recently is um, the Emerald Steel Discard deck, which is really? okay. totally revolving around Floodborns because of Bucky. Okay. So in, in this Emerald Steel Discard deck, you have Bucky John, which allow you to draw and discard cards, obviously. But they discard whenever you play a Floodborne. And so if you're going to make that your strategy, you obviously have to have a lot of Floodborns. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's cool that Floodborns are the new centerpiece to a deck. Not like to be the ultimate, like, you know, threat on the board necessarily, but to be... They're the engine, basically. Yeah, they're they're the, the cogs that make the deck go. So that deck revolves around... The Donald Duck Perfect Gentleman I mentioned earlier. Um, it doesn't get played terribly much, um, but it's definitely a part of the deck. You've got the Flynn Rider um, from Chapter 2, the one that is... Plays the, perfectly well into a discard. Yeah, the, the Flynn Rider, his own biggest fan. Uh, the repelling one that's the quests are for if the opponent doesn't have any cards in their hand. Then in Steel, you've got the Jafar card, which draws a card when he challenges an opponent. It also does three damage, which we've talked about the importance of three damage. Um, given the bounce package, all has three willpower. You've got Cinderella Stouthearted. You've got Tinkerbell Giant Fairy. 
you've got Beast um, Tragic Hero, and so the amount of Floodborns at your disposal to continue to make your opponent discard a card passively because of Bucky is pretty strong. And I mean, you're playing a card and getting a discard out of it, and that's not its ability, which is... That's that's the kicker. So I think why I, I personally tried to make it work on Pixelborn about 12 to 15 games, and I just couldn't quite get the tempo right, so it's not my favorite yet. Um, but I have seen it have a ton of success really high on the ladder, and so I, I, I see the viability of it. And to your point, I think it's really cool to see that notation given another life versus just being able to shift through the Bucky um, synergies. Yep. I mean, and there's also some very helpful, like, Floodborns that would help, like, I think just a solid one is Cinderella Stouthearted. Like, that's just a solid Floodborn that can really do... It can just be a quester, can challenge, you can do whatever. That might be a top three card of the set. Yeah, and like I would say that there's really no other floodborne that touches it. Um, no, I don't I don't I don't think there is either. I think that Beast Tragic Hero is probably um in the conversation. Mm-hmm. I know that that's just but to me that's just because of the meta and the importance of having a card draw engine on the board. Um, and the big target that Beast Tragic Hero gets, but I don't know. I'm just a sucker for like the big sword, which she's literally carrying <laughs> in the, in the arc. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, so we we've talked about two of them. We said that there's a lot of cards that aren't shifted, mm-hmm. like the Beast Tragic Hero, like um, the the Tremaine. Uh, then you have on the other side of the aisle, you have the cards that are shifted relatively decently like the cinderella stouthearted she's shifted onto the amber version and she shifted onto her version you also have the queen which we already mentioned which is shifted pretty pretty heavily i would say in on the amber side of things um so yeah i, I think that the the breadth of the way that floodborns can be played is the most exciting part i think the underwhelming part of Rise of the Floodborns, given that that's the name of the set and that it's Floodborns, is that the vast majority of them aren't played. Yeah, and I mean, it is what it is. I don't know if that like they've they've played like to to your point, and they put a lot of cards like Bucky that work with like Floodborne cards in play. I don't know if they were just like they might have expected this to be a big boom in Floodborne, and it just didn't work out that yeah, way. Yeah, that, that could very well be the case. But I also think, as we touched on too, um, that there are lifelines for a lot of these. Again, the the Fairy Godmother and the Madame Mim and, and Amethyst, I think, have a lot of legs later on, potentially. I think the Cheshire and Emerald has a lot of legs later on. Um, the Minnie Mouse Wide-Eyed Diver, I think, is probably one of the most underwhelming ones. I don't think she really has any legs to stand on at any point. Um Queen of Hearts. We hadn't talked about her in Emerald. She, I've seen her play. In Ruby. Or in Ruby, sorry. Yes, thank you. Um, I haven't seen her play a ton, but she's definitely a cool card. Mm-hmm. Um, gives you some card draw, which again is always really important. Uh, the Raya card, we've touched on this way too many times. I'm really disappointed in the Raya and the Last Dragon cards in general because I was so excited for the property. Um, not sure I've ever seen that card played in general, much less shifted. So that one's, again, I, I think there's a life where that works really well. But not in not in today's meta. My version of the Raya would have to be Herc, um, Hercules, Divine Hero. Just yeah. Again, we again like if if you think about how overshadowed that card is compared to its 
other two floodborn brethren and steel mm-hmm. it's it's just it's nothing i mean the shift I, I the stat line is just very underwhelming for me it doesn't make sense when you have stat harder no it, it, it makes make no sense. sense it makes i mean it costs one more but who cares it's got two more willpower and quests for one more so what does it matter that it costs one more it it doesn't, doesn't. doesn't make sense. <laughs> no it doesn't so um so i, I think t- to kind of like give like a bird's eye view of this i i like a lot of the stuff they've done with the floodborne i think they made them more useful and versatile meaning they're not just played to be shifted to be that kind of a threat but there are also a lot of options with so many cards in the in the game now where you don't have to shift them for them to be useful i think you have that option still to be a threat if you want it to be um, and then with the like Bucky John package, you've got a third way to like to discard and t- to disrupt just by playing your opponent. And so I think that the 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 again the the different ways that you can play it and make it really fun. There are just a lot that are underwhelming in the current meta. So those are the those are the give and takes that I have of the set. You have a lot of positives. You have some negatives. Yeah, I just think there was a lot of. Like, and I'll just even say this, like, there was a lot of, like, common rarity cards that came out of nowhere on our meta mainstays. And then you have legendary Floodborns that are barely used, if not, not used at all. That might be a, that might be a topic for another episode, but, like, do you want all your legendary cards to be the best cards in the set? Like, should they plan it out where... Like, we know these are going to be the 10 best cards in the set. Let's make these 10 the legendary cards. I I don't think so, no. But other than Beast Tragic Hero, there's not a really solid legendary Floodborne. Um, no, that's fair. I mean, Scar, Scar gets played a little bit, but he's not, like, the end-all, be-all. So he's not, he's not a... Uh, Scar's well, legendary. He's on a floodborne. Oh, or, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Bell's very underwhelming. Um, Fairy Godmother, again, we've talked about. I think has a ton of potential, but not there yet. Snow White and and Amber is again. I think she has potential. I think there's a lot of opportunity for her to be really good, um, but she's uninkable. And with the Steel Song package that you get in Amber, there's just no. Vi- there's no snow viability to run that amber version um yeah i mean i, I think that there's just um, some some adjusting if, to be yeah if we could just widen the meta like again i think the the fairy godmother the snow white the bell the alice even which i know not all these are floodborne and we're kind of getting off subject to the floodborne a little bit but there are the viability there. We just need more tools to make those things work better. And we're in chapter two. I'm sh- yeah, I'm we're sure we'll get two. there. I'm sure we will we'll get, get there. there. Uh, it's just at the moment, Rise of the Floodborne, it, like, I think just overall, like the theme and title. You would hope did, the Floodborne. didn't make a whole lot of sense once the set came out. Um, it was exciting in the reveals. Like seeing like, the first, I remember it was, it was Basil. He was revealed as like, I was going to say, the, the number of Floodborns. There's a third Floodborn in... The number of Floodborns, yeah. So it it added a lot of like hype, I think. It's just once we got here, it was like a little underwhelming. Okay, last question, and we'll, we'll wrap this one up. 
what do you think they do to Floodborns in the future then that could potentially change them or change the way that they're played or considered? Or is there is the the way that they're played kind of set in stone? Or is there some and they just like we said they they just need more tools around them to make them better? Or is there something that's that's wrong or needs tweaked to make them more viable? I mean, I I think honestly, I think like the the days of of having. Like a like you know shifting every floodborne or over like I don't think that's ever gonna really happen again. I agree. That's a good take. Um, I think if it as long as it has a good ability, you're gonna play it. Don't necessarily need to shift it. Um, so I think those those days are over. Um, obviously you'll have a few exceptions every now and then. You have the queens of the world and stuff like that that'll get shifted. Um, the low cost shift characters. The drop three. Yeah. Like you have the, the queen. You have or if, or, fairy or, godmother. Cheshire Cat. Maybe not even if it drops three, even if it drops two, and but it's a four cost. Like if you're shifting turn two, I think that's where you get a, a ton of value is that you're getting a bigger body out very, very quickly. Absolutely. But yeah, no, in general, I agree. I think the, the, the need to shift or the, the expectation to shift and to have the shift target and the, the Floodborne and the deck are, are far gone depending on the card that you have. Um, and I guess to answer my own question, no, I, I, I don't think that there's anything necessarily like broken about them. I just think a lot of these cards don't have packages around them that make them as good as they could be. And I think like there, there's stuff that'll get it one day. Like I think we will get to that point again. Um, I think, I think I will say this. I think sticking with four is fine per, per set, maybe drop down to three. I just think that it's like not necessarily needed. I don't know. Yeah, I'd say three or four is probably fine. You just don't want to make it, you know... When you think about the abilities, you know, like Shift slash Floodborne is an ability, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the Singer ability, which we've talked on a ton, like there's like five cards in the whole set with that ability. There's five cards in Sapphire with Shift or with Floodborne. So it's, it's like, do you want to make it the most you know aggressive uh like as far as card count ability or you know why is this one the one that has the most abilities over like a singer or a reckless or a rush or yeah anything like that so it's it's i I would like them to be a little more evened out with all the different abilities um but in general i i think this is one of like the mainstay abilities which when we did our ability tier list in chapter one that we had at the top for good reason. And so it makes sense, I guess, that this is, you know, universal across all the inks and had everyone has the ability to do this. But I, I am down for, for Floodborne to be like the days of Pure Oak Outlaw to, to come back. Like that's a crazy card that you don't see a lot of play of anymore. Yeah, it's I nuts. miss I miss that one so much. I think I I not I'm not just saying this. I think about that all the time. I, I miss it. I, I, I every time I play by Ruby Amethyst deck, I'm like, how can I get Heroic Outlaw in here? But it just it just doesn't have a place anymore because of the bounce package. It's weird. It's really a weird like. Yeah. Any any time I'm down like seventeen to twelve and I'm playing Ruby Amethyst, I'm like, can I just put Heroic Outlaw back in here <laughs> to knock them down a peg to make it you know it harder for them to get to lethal, especially with the goats and stuff. If they're at seventeen and you have no way to pull them down, then they just go bounce goat whatever and then you're done. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that there's still some development in general. I'm, I'm happy with the, the state it's in. 
I would just like some more, you know, meta options to Small, make some of tweaking. Better. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, no, I, th- I think this is a good discussion. I mean, I think in general, hopefully this helps widen people's perspective on floodborns. Again, you can shift it. There are plenty of opportunities to not shift it. I would also encourage people to check out the Bucky package and the uh, Steel Emerald discard deck because that one I've seen a lot of traction gaining as well and can be fun. So I like I like the, the, the variability that you have to play the Floodborns this set too. So good and bad. I think overall we're in a good spot, but just definitely some tweaking needed. Quick side note, some of the best art in the game are all Floodborne cards. But Yeah, I, you, you can't argue with that. <laughs> that there's, there's no arguing that either. And for everyone that stuck around after the off-topic <laughs> Disney World discussion that we had, very much appreciate that as well. Um, but yeah, as always, thanks everyone for listening, and we will catch you next time. See you guys. Bye.